So uh, today, um, we're going to, on Mother's Day, talk about awesome families. We've been talking about awesome relationships and specifically about awesome families today. Now, let me ask right up front, like, anybody here want to be just a mediocre family? Like, anybody here showing up today, like, I like to be less than average. That's, I'd li- I like to kind of slip into that spot. That's where I want to kind of be as a family. I'm probably not. Everybody here today is probably like, no, I, I would like for our family to be a little better, to be a little bit more awesome. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, when we talk about awesome families, um, this one thing is true when it comes to if you want to get better, you have to be intentional. And that's what we're going to talk about today is that awesome families are intentional, and there's some intentional things that we can do to be a little bit more awesome. So if you want to follow along today, you can open up this little thing that says scoop, and uh, inside there's an outline um, that you can follow along today and uh, follow along with the scripture as we talk about what does it mean to be an awesome family? What can I do to be a little more intentional? Now, author and pastor Pat Rick Warren, uh, he has this great quote. He talks about awesome families. He says, awesome families are not perfect families, they are, but they are intentional families. They become awesome by choice. You are not an awesome family by accident. You are an, become an awesome family by making choices and decisions and commitments and even sacrifices. Being an awesome family is going to take some intentionality. It will not happen by accident. So here's what we're going to do today. We just want to wrap up this whole series by talking about this one scripture found in Matthew 22, uh, found other places in scripture as well. But this is, this is kind of Jesus' reflection on when he was asked, what's it mean to live an intentional life? What's it mean to live the life that God wants you? When someone came to him and said, listen, there are a lot of commands in scripture. There's all this stuff you have to do. What is it really about? And this has been the verse that we base this whole awesome series on. And it's called, in the church, it's called the Great Commandment because Jesus says this is the greatest commandment. And in essence, this is what Jesus is saying. Everything that it means to be a follower of Jesus, to really experience the awesome that God wants you to experience, all of it hangs on these two commandments. And he literally says that after he finishes up saying what they are. Everything hangs on this. You can try to do all the other stuff, but if you miss this, you've missed everything. And so this is what we're going to, this is the essence of what we're going to talk about today as we talk about awesome families. And here it is. Jesus says, when he's asked this question about intentionality, he says, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. So if you want to have an awesome relationship, you want to live the awesome life that God intended, and certainly in your family, you need to learn how to love the God with love the God with all of your heart and all of your mind and all of your soul. You need to be fully in. And you have to help your family do that. And then secondly, this is the this is the first and greatest commandment, he says. And then secondly, here's the great second one is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't just think about yourself. Expand your world and love somebody else. So Jesus was clear that all of Scripture points back to this one thing. Love God and love people. And if you want to live the life that God intends for you to live, if you want to have the joy that God intends for you to have, if you want to be the awesome family that God wants you to be, then you need to learn how to together love God and love people. And that is what we're going to talk about today. How do I be intentional about that? And so first thing I want to talk to you about in being intentional is that awesome families love God well. 
This is the first thing that Jesus says. You want to be an awesome person. You want to be of an awesome family. You've got to love God well. So that means that as a family, what we need to do is gather together and look up. We need to learn how to look upward together, to point towards God. Awesome families have people in their family that say, God is going to be the center of my life. I, the central figure, the central thing I base my life on is God. And when you have one person in your family that way who says, I'm going to center my life on God, it begins to infect everybody else. Because as they center their life on God, they become more like God. They experience God's love in a way that has other people experience that. And you can't get away from that. The more time you spend with a person in your life, right, the more you pick up some of the things that they are. Right? Like I've been married now for 20-some years, and um, my wife has taught me a lot. I have learned a lot from her. I, I can laugh at myself more freely because she's glad to laugh at me freely too. And so I've just picked up on that and be like, that sounds fun. So we do that together. But you become more like the people that you spend time with. And it is no different with God. And in your family, if you want to have a family that is awesome, you want to have the kind of family that God dreams for you, then you've got to learn how to center your whole family on God and what that looks like because his power to transform you from the inside out, changes everything. Now, the best image I can think of when it comes to this, of like, what is this like as a family? How do we, how do we have this happen? Is I was, I was thinking about this, and I thought, you know, for me, that looks kind of like a gardener. Like, if we're, if we're going to have an awesome family, we need to be a little bit more like gardeners. Now, I'm about to do my garden, and my, my kids say that this is a middle-aged man thing, that we love our gardens. She's like, like, why do middle-aged men love their gardens? And I'm like, I don't know. I, I do because I grew up in Perry County, and so it's kind of a thing. So um, here's what I'm going to do. Pretty soon I'm going to till up the soil. I'm going to get that soil loose. And then I'm going to put down some of this stuff, this fertilizer stuff, right? So I want to I get the soil nourished like a place to grow, like something good to grow plants. But when I put the plants in the ground, I can't make them grow. Like as a gardener, what's my job? It's to put them in the ground in a place that's nourished, in a place that the sun can shine on it, they can look up and feel, feel the sun, that they can look up and they can receive rain. Like if I, if I plant them in places where it's not, my job is like on the front porch in, the little, in our little barrel, I got to take the hose out and I got to water it every day. Like that's my role. I can't go out there and stretch the plants to make them grow. It just doesn't turn out well. I've tried it. It does not turn out well, right? There's no stretching plants to make them grow. You can't force them. You can't go out there and tell them they're not doing their jobs, grow a little faster, get better. I've also tried this. It does not work. Like, they don't listen, right? They're just like lots of other people in our lives. They don't listen to what we think is best. So what is our job? Our job as a gardener is to nourish those It's to create an environment in which they can grow. And it's the same way in our families. If we want our families to love God, then we have to create spaces where that can be nourished. We need to look for opportunities where it's our job to water or to fertilize or to bring something new. It's our jobs to do that all the time, not just to like once in a while, you know? Like I think lots of people get stuck in this because they think like, well, it's just, well, I just have family devotions and that helps my family grow. But I don't think that's God's intention. And if you've ever tried to have family devotions, you know, you know how that goes, like, right? Like, have you, have you like, so when, when, I do, when I used to do this with my sons, I recognized we, we tried it before dinner, and I realized that they were a lot more devoted to eating than they were to listening 
to their dad at that point, right? Like, so, and I, I, I've heard stories. My, my wife comes from a big family, and so um, their brothers, they, her brothers just loved to torture their dad when he would try to do devotions. And so they would literally sit around the table, and it, like, they tell this one story one time, there's this chocolate cake on the table, and their brothers were dipping their fingers in the chocolate cake and then, you know, pretending it was something else just to make everybody else, all the brothers and sisters are giggling and their dad's trying to, like, keep it under control. And it was a, it was a debacle, right? And they, and they love to tell the story about it, right? And their dad just, con- just grandpa just continues to roll his eyes now like, oh, right? But he loves the Lord deeply. My sons always smile because we get together at family gatherings and he goes to pray for the family and he just starts weeping. And they're like, oh, there's Grandpa crying again, right? But it's because of his love for God and that what he wants for his kids and his grandkids to be centered on God and to know that God's best for them, that their best in their life will be found if they center it on God. He just wants to nourish that. Now, I think about, think about this. I think about the story that Alan and Alan Starner and, and Pastor Rick once told me. They went to the Middle East, and they got on this plane to go to the Middle East, and they sat down and surrounded all around them were a group of Hasidic Jews, fathers and sons. And uh, the whole flight, Alan recalls, like hearing the word Abba, which means father, heavenly father, over and over. He's like, I heard that word so many times on that flight. But the beauty of it is that they watched these fathers who in their very traditional way took what God and what, what they were directed in the, Old, in the Old Testament early on in the nation of Israel, this is how God directed to do it, said, we are going to center our lives in God and we're going to speak to our kids about it. We're going to be true about it. So here's, here's the verse in Deuteronomy that they, that they act out of. Now let's talk about what that looks like in our lives. It says, Deuteronomy chapter 6, these commands, the Lord says, these commands that I have give you today are to be on your hearts. Now recognize right up front in this scripture that what God's saying. These commands aren't to be like just something you do. These aren't just to be a checklist. I'm not just telling you how to behave. The things that I've given you, I want them to be on your heart. I want them to find their way into the why of why do I do this? Why do I live? Why is this important? God wants us to find everything he tells us in the why to say, this is why this is so valuable for you so you can find freedom and joy. I've told you this to protect your greatest joys. This is what I want to give to you. These commands I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. And when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up, as you go, nurture the life of God in your family. Wherever you go, nurture the life of God in your family. Let it grow as you go together. I think about this when my kids were young. Um, so those of you who have young kids, you know this story really well, right? Like at bedtime, your kids will talk about anything for as long as they can, because they don't want to go to bed, right? So they resist bedtime, and so they will talk forever about, you can ask them all sorts of questions. They'll share their whole life with you at that season of life. It is a great time, right, to take advantage of just this thing. When they lie down, speak to them. I remember times in our, our family where there was a crisis, and that was a great time to talk about how we center ourselves on God, and we would pray together over it. This is what you model. This is how you live this out. If you're, a, if, if you're a, in your family today, and like you, 
I've heard people say, like, well, we don't have a lot of spiritual conversations in our family. I remember talking to a young guy who was in his 20s. And said, yeah, I don't really, we don't really talk about that stuff in our family. I'm like, well, you know what? You can be the person who starts it. Like, you're the one who wants to have the spiritual conversation. Open the dialogue. Be the person who says, I'm going to be the person who wants. I love God. I want my family's that, but I'm going to center that. If you're a teenager and your mom and dad say, hey, what's going on in your life? Don't think that they're just diving in and trying to, like, get in the middle of your biz, right? Like, just open the dialogue to say, what's God doing in my life? How is this all intersecting? Like, be open to actually just having this conversation. Moms and dads, like parents, like, listen, you, you got to be intentional about just speaking over your kids. How am I nurturing this relationship with God? How am I hearing from them? How am I opening that dialogue? we got to be intentional. Now, another thing that's probably important for you to do here is just to pause for a second and think about this. Think about the whys in your life. Because that's, that's all this really boils down to. Why do you do what you do? I mean, if you do family devotions or you try to do devotions at all, why do you do it in the first place? You know, what, if, you, if you pray at your table before you eat, why do you do it in the first place? Do you pray be, before you eat because the Bible says you have to pray before you eat? No. You pray before you eat to pause and to say, we want to pause for a moment. I just want to say, God, I recognize that I'm nothing without you. I recognize that we need you in our life. I, I want to be thankful and grateful in this moment for the other people around this table, for the, where we are as a family. That's why you pray. You know, why, do you, why do you pause and pray other places? Because you want, you want to center your life on God. It's important. Why do you do family devotions? Because you want to center your life on God. That's, that's why you do it. Your kids need to know that. Your family needs to know that. You need to be intentional about doing that. That's why do we worship? Why do, why do we worship together? You know, when you come here, it's probably easy for you to think that you're the audience. Do you know that when you come here on a Sunday, you're not the audience? God's the audience. He is the focus. This is why when we, sit, when we look up, we look up at God. We say, God, we want to be in awe of you today. We're not looking at ourselves right now. We are looking to you. You are our audience, and we bring our worship to you today. That's what happens on a Sunday when you come and worship together. You center yourself on God. You nurture something new in an environment. It's important. Why do you go to small group? To nurture those connections that other people are invested into you and modeling that. This is important for us to get, to make our homes those kind of places. Awesome families are families that love God well and that each see themselves as a person who brings that love into the family. You have a personal responsibility to be a part of that. It's not somebody else's job in your family. It's your job, wherever you are with God, to bring that to your family. So let's talk about the second trait of intentionality when it comes to being an awesome family. Second trait is that, and Jesus talks about this, love your neighbor as yourself. Awesome families love each other well. Now, when Jesus talks about loving your neighbor and elsewhere in the scripture, in Luke, when he's asked, well, who is my neighbor? This is how Jesus defines it. Anyone who you see that needs mercy and love is your neighbor. And that certainly applies to our families, often to our families, because those are sometimes those are the places we get most comfortable and we're meanest to the people that mean the most, right? Isn't that true? Sometimes we're meanest to the people who mean the most to us, who are in our families. And what, 
what Jesus is saying is we ought to love our neighbor well. We ought to love each other well. We need to look inward. We need to see each other well. You know, I think about one of the places in our, in our uh, epitome of that in our relationship is like when you're going to leave the house. You know what I mean? Like, if you have kids, so if, you don't, if, you don't have, if you don't have kids yet, this is how you leave the house. I'm ready to go. Open the door, shut the door, go get in the car. If you have a family, right? Moms, you get this, right? They go, it's time to go. And we're going to leave in 10 minutes. 15 or 20 minutes later, you're going, where are you? Right? Kids, children are coming down the stairs like they've never left the house before. They have no shoes. They're like, where are your shoes? I don't know. Where did you see them last? On my feet, duh. You know, you're like, ah, right? Your neighbors think there's a traffic jam because you're out, the car, right? And they're like, what's going on? Like, these places in our life are real about loving each other. So when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, it gets real in our families. How do we love each other well? Because it's easy to get busy in our lives and just, like, you're busy with your job. And now my kids are in college, so, like, they're busy with all their schoolwork. We're busy with all of our lives. You know, they don't get home till like, 10 or 11 at night. It is easy to look past things and not see each other. Not really look at each other and say, what is going on in your life? I want to be present. I want to be here now with you to look them in the eyes and to know what's going on in their lives. It's easy just to look past it. And we live in a world where we feel less safe than we ever have. I mean, it, we may or may not be more safe or less safe, but we feel less safe. When you put your kids on the bus, right, parents? Put your kids on the bus. It's a bit of a trauma even just doing that because you hear the news. You think about your own life. I think about my own life growing up as a teenager. If I embarrassed myself, 10, 15, 20 people knew about it. Today, if you embarrass yourself, I mean, there's no pictures back then. You can't even prove the things that I did to embarrass myself back then, and I'm glad but today, everyone's history is right out there for everyone to see. It feels dangerous. More than ever, one of the ways that we need to pull this off and loving each other well is to make our families a place of refuge, a place of safety, a place of grace. I'm reminded of Psalm 46.1, where the author declares this of God, like this is the kind of family that God is. He says, God is our refuge and our strength always ready to help in times of trouble. This is the kind of families we ought to have. This is how we ought to be like God to our kids and to our parents and to the people in our families. We ought to be a place of refuge, a place to run to. And that ability comes from God. Because there are storms that are going to come in your life, and you cannot avoid them. If you're going to live your life, you are going to have relationship storms. You're going to have finance storms. You're going to have health storms. You're going to have storms in your life, and as much as you'd like to protect your kids from it or be protected from it, it is going to happen. And you will need a place of refuge. And that's why I think the best thing that represents that in our families is an umbrella, right? This is what we ought to be like as families. We ought to be an umbrella that protects our family in the times of storms. When things go wrong, we ought to be there to protect them. I think of a, a, a story I heard recently about a teenager. Um, it's a gal who tried out for the cheerleading team. And she didn't make it because of her looks. She came home and she was heartbroken. She's in her room. She goes up to her room and she's in a closet. She's just weeping. 
brother or sisters get home and they come up and they just, they go to her room and she tells the story. She just weeps with them. And her parents come home and she said, we just, we just sat down in the closet beside her and we all just wept. They didn't try to convince her of anything. They didn't try to talk her out. They didn't try to cheer her up. They just held the umbrella as a place of grace. They said, we're going to grieve together. We're going to weep together. This is what Paul says we should do. We should, we should be families that, that when people are happy, we celebrate with them. When one person wins in the family, we all win. And when one person loses, we all weep. We all grieve right along with them. Awesome families are places, families who know how to do this. It's one of the reasons that as a church family, and we'll offer it right here at Good Hope Road this summer, we offer grief share. So when you go through a loss as a family, you don't have to try to figure it out. We, we invite families in to say, Look, we want to teach you how to grieve well. We want to teach you how to be this umbrella, a place of protection. Not just gloss over grief, but to be present in it, to help each other through it. Families ought to be those places like an umbrella who love each other well. Let me talk about the third, the third trait. I want to talk about being intentional. Awesome families, they love God well. They, love, they love each other well, and then they love others well. You know, this, this part of the great commandment where Jesus says you need to love your neighbor as yourself, it reminds us the implications here are that we need to look beyond ourselves. We need to look outward, beyond just our own family. And if we don't, we, we, we tend to just see the mirror around our family. And if, if you want to be a good family, and this is, this, Jesus says this elsewhere, when he talks about love, remember he, say, he has this whole thing, he talks about love, and he says, listen, loving your friends... That is great, and everybody expects it. Go ahead and do that. But if you're going to follow me, here's what I expect. Not just that you love the people that love you, but that you love the people that are your enemies. I, I ask you to look beyond yourselves, to look at my kind of love. It goes beyond just looking for each other, protecting each other, but goes out and says, I'm going to protect others too. I'm going to invite them into the same grace. I'm going to have them experience that same kind of love. It means that, that, that you need to look beyond the mirror, in your house, and you need to find a set of lenses as a family that helps you see the world differently, that helps you see others differently. These are actually, I have my contacts in, and these are my glasses, so I can't actually see any of you right now if I put those on. But, you know, as I've gotten older, right, and as you get older, you see people doing this with their readers, right, or, they, or, they're, or they're doing this. Uh, this. I'm guilty of this now. My eyes are getting, like, where is that going to come in at? You know what? Because I need to see it clearly. If you don't get this down intentionally in your family of looking outward and loving others, you're going to miss the opportunity to look outward and to love others well. You need a lenses for your family to see others that are in need, to be a part of helping them. I, I think about this all the time because, you know, if if you've ever been around toddlers, you know this. Do you know who toddlers think are the center of the universe? Them, right? Like, I am the center of the universe. If you're a toddler, you are the center of the universe and everything rotates around you. And it is our job as parents to raise our children to realize that they are not the center of the universe. That God's love, God himself is the center of the universe, and we get to be agents of change in the world, that there's a lot of people who are in need and hurting, and we can be a part of making an impact, that we have a purpose in this world. And it's not just 
Me, me, me. Our purpose is greater than that. It's beyond that to make a difference in the world. And it can be easy to miss that. It can be easy to get busy, right? Dads, if, you got, if your kids are in sports, it can be easy to like, be focused on, like, well, I'm just looking at how my kid's doing and miss that there's another kid being a part of that who just doesn't have a dad that you could minister to. Moms, it's so easy, right? Like, if you're carrying a job and you're doing, taking care of stuff around the house and you're trying to take care of your kids and you're spinning all of these plates to miss that there's another mom around you who just needs a friend. It's easy for us in our culture to drive our cars into our garages, close the door, and never know what's happening in neighbors' lives around us. But if we're going to be awesome families, we need to look at people who are in need and say, I want to be part of that. Now, one of the ways that my dad modeled this growing up, um, he uh, would always help other people in need, like, he was good with his hands, and so someone that was a neighbor or a friend or someone in our community that just they couldn't afford to fix their car. Being drug along, because really my job was to hold the flashlight and get yelled at because I'm very distracted, right? You do not want me holding. Like, you, if you want somebody that's focused, you're not hiring me. But he always hired me as trying to be the focus guy, hold the flashlight still, right? And now I'm, I'm of course, the dad who does that with, like, no, what are you doing? And our, you know, my family's doing like this. So, like, I didn't like being drug along, but here's what I learned. Every time we helped someone, I saw my dad acting as a servant. I saw my dad realizing, I'm not the center of the universe, son. And neither are you. There's a lot of people in need, and you can make an impact on their world. You can help them experience a little bit of who God is. This is our job in our families. Hebrews 10.24 says, let us think and motivate each other towards good works. This is our job in our family, to motiva- motivate each other towards good works. I love seeing this play out at daybreak. I love this past year being here in this past winter when we packed backpacks for hungry kids, and I saw parents, and I saw kids, and we're going around tables, and people are pulling stuff and putting it into these bags, and we're packing them together, whole families saying, I see a hurting world, and I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of dressing it in love. I watch it with the GC5K as whole families sign up and they run together, they serve together, they contribute together to change the world, to have people around the world who has never heard the name of Jesus be changed by it because we contributed to it. I love seeing us gather as a whole church family and being a part of it. That's why we invite you to be a part of that 5K next week. But when you come and you sign up for that 5K, as a family, talk about the why. We're not just running to run. We're running because there are people around the world who are hurting and who need help and who need to discover the God of the universe who loves them dearly and they've never known it. No one's ever told them. That's why we run together. That's why we contribute to this. Let your kids know that. Be intentional to love and care for others because that's what awesome families are. They're intentional. They don't just slip by and let life slip by them and not really think about it. They are intentional about their lives. Now, I don't know about some of you, um, but I know a lot of Christian families who have this sign in their house. Um, It's actually a little quote from Joshua. We have it in our house right above the door. It says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. How many, anybody here have that one in their house? Yeah? Okay. So, we have this in our house right above the door well on the, way you go, on the way you go out. It reminds me all the time that the world is not just about me. 
Now, let me tell you about a little background on this verse, because it comes from Joshua chapter 24. Joshua, when he said this, he had this holy discontent. Here it was. They, the nation of Israel had moved into this land, and there were a lot of ways in this land that were just wrong. There were child sacrifices. There were all kind of wrongdoing things. People were allowed to cheat and hurt each other. They lived, put in this, lived in this land where people were choosing to serve other gods rather than God, who had ways that were not good. They were not alone, were not loving. They, they were choosing ways of life. Then they were mistreating each other. They were losing their joy. And in this moment, as Joshua saw people making these choices or just really living life by whatever culture was doing around them, they were just doing the same thing as everybody else. And he saw this happen and he said, I got this holy discontent. I got to tell you. And so this is, what, this is what he says in Joshua chapter 24. He says, listen, You can choose what you want. You can live the way that you want to live. But don't live unintentionally. Choose today who you will serve. Don't just go through your life and just assimilate to whatever everybody else is doing. Make a choice. If you'd prefer to serve the gods of your ancestors before God to do that, if you want to serve the God of the Amorites, you do that. But as for me, as for me, but to serve God. As for me, I'm going I'm to love God with all my heart, mind, and soul. As for my family, I'm going to be the person in my family that helps my whole family love God and know the joys that he has for them. I'm going to be that. So today, and this is where the rub is, today you might be the person in your family who is all in, but you might feel like there's some others in your family who aren't. And that might be discouraging to you, but let me speak a word of encouragement to you. Follow Joshua's example. As for me, I will be the agent of change. I will be the one who loves God with all my heart, mind, and soul. I will be the one who looks into the eyes of other people in my family and sees them as they are and cares for them. I will be the one who models for my family and takes them along to say, I care for others. We're not the center of the universe. There are people who need God, who need God's love, who need to be cared for. And for those of you who have a whole family who is gathered around that one central theme, today you should celebrate that. You should celebrate that. That you have that together. And you should be intentional about that. And you should say, you know what? We are going to be intentional. We're not just going to roll with culture. We're going to be intentional about loving God really well. About loving each other really well and about being on the mission and the purpose of God together and sharing that with each other. So I want to stop for a moment and pray, but I want to ask you this question to consider this morning. In your own families, in your life, how are you going to look up? Where are there spaces that God's inviting to say, I want to invite you to look up. You've been discouraged You've been walking through your life and you need to look upward at me or you need to look inward. You need to see the people around you or you need to look outward. You've been taking care of yourself, but there are people around you that I want you to be a part of changing their life and leaving a legacy. What's God inviting you to this morning? Let's pray. Lord, as we bow our heads this morning, we are reminded over and over by people who followed you 
that it is never too late to be an awesome family, to be part of an awesome family. Whether we are a mom or dad with younger kids, it's not too late to be intentional about how we're raising our kids. It's not too late. We have teenagers to be a part of being an awesome family, opening a spiritual dialogue. It is not too late to be the agent of change. And if we're a son or a daughter, it's not too late for us to be able to open that dialogue and to share our lives with our family of what God is doing in our lives. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to do so and the intentionality to do so as well. In Jesus' name, amen.